Welcome. We are excited to share with you a recording of a conversation from April 19th with three Roadrunners Club of America supported elite athletes, Katie German, Frank Lara, and 2020 Olympic Marathon Trials champion Alephine Tuliamuk. All three of these runners have received some level of support from the RRCA, either through our Run Pro Camp, our Road Scholars Grant, or our Olympic Marathon Trials Development Grant. The specifics of each of these programs are covered during the conversation. The hope for this conversation was to have each of these athletes share a little bit about their running journey, what it is like to compete and try to make it as a professional runner, and also to talk a little bit about how these RRCA programs have aided in their development and their career. I kind of wanted to uh, to start with a uh, overview of these programs that we're going to be discussing. I think uh, some folks have some knowledge of them, uh, and we're going to use them kind of frequently today, but I, I think some context as to exactly what they are will be helpful. So there are really three, it's maybe two and a half or three programs that fall under RCA elite support. Uh, and the, the first uh, that I want to talk about is Run Pro Camp, um, which was founded in 2011. So coming up on the 10th anniversary of the first Run Pro Camp. Uh, it's really a two-day orientation camp um, for up to about 20 recent college graduates who have shown really great promise in running. And it provides attendees with tools and training and resources to pursue a professional career in the sport. The topics that get covered include the ins and outs of sponsorships, different types of agent representation, working with elite recruiters for events, um, and even individual financial management for, for uh, new runners. Um, if you've ever heard of an orientation camp for rookies in the NFL or NBA, Run Pro Camp really tries to provide something similar for professional running. Um, it's also free for all accepted athletes, so we, we cover um, travel and lodging costs. Uh, then, uh, th this is the, the longest running one. Uh, it's the Road Scholars Program, which was uh, founded in 1996 while Don Cardong, who's on this call and you'll hear from later, was president of the RRCA. And Road Scholars provides annual grants of $5,000 a piece to four to six emerging American elite distance runners, probably a slightly, slightly older um, population than those that attend Run Pro Camp, although there is often sometimes uh, a Run Pro athlete will become an immediate Road Scholar. Um, the program aims to provide needed financial support to promising athletes at a key time in their athletic careers and really tries to encourage them and provide them with some financial backing to stay in the sport and continue with their development. Uh, and the last thing is that there's an Olympic, development, uh, Olympic trials development grant, and this is somewhat new, and it's kind of an offshoot of Road Scholars. It's a similar idea, but uh, beginning for the 2016 Olympic marathon trials, and then again for the 2020 version, it's provided... Uh, $2,500 with some additional escalator clauses for past road scholars and performance at the trials uh, to 16 runners in each, each cycle um, who've qualified for the trials to help them with um, their training and, and preparation for the event. So there's your background information. Um, and with that, what I would like to do is maybe start off by asking our panel to first introduce themselves uh, maybe say where they're living and uh, who they're training with, and uh, also maybe what they would say is their favorite running accomplishment. So Katie, why don't we start with you since you're at the, the far first corner on my screen. Oh, geez. Okay. Um, so I'm Katie German. I live in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I train with Minnesota Distance Elite. Um, and then our favorite running accomplishment, I think wholeheartedly it had to have been with Alphine at the New York City Marathon we ran most of the race together and Alphine and I were college teammates for a brief moment when I joined Iowa State um, University and it was just I haven't run many marathons but that was the first one where I felt like I had a whole group of girls as teammates and working together to get through it um, and it's the New York City Marathon so it was a really awesome experience to start with so awesome thank you uh, Frank, uh, I'll, I'll turn to you next. Hello, everyone. I'm Frank Lada. I live and train in Boulder, Colorado with the Roots Running Project. And my proudest running accomplishment thus far would probably be winning the uh, U.S. 15K Championship in 2020, 2019, 2020, yeah. I think we're all in the same place with time at this yeah. point. So understandable. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a good story. We'll get to a little bit more of that later, I think. So 
All right, Alephine, I'll turn to you and your special visitor that you can introduce as well. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Alephine Tindiamuk. I'm a professional runner for Northern Arizona Elite. Um, and 2020, you're trial champion. I guess I jumped something. Okay, this is my little girl, Zoe. Uh, she's about three months old. Um, and my favorite uh, running moment, Katie said, you know, in New York City Marathon, I am... Um, was coming off um, a stress fracture and I only had eight weeks um, to train. And then I was able to run with her and one other girl. And it was so much fun because I just wasn't sure if I was gonna do well. And because of them, I was able to do really, really well. And of course, I mean, I think the icing on the cake would be the 2020 US Olympic trials where um, I won, so. <laughs> oh, and I live in, uh, I live and train in Flagstaff, Arizona. Awesome, thank you. Um, so Frank, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll start with you on this one, but uh, I'd like all of you a little bit to um, maybe talk about if there was, prior to the, the, the accomplishment that you shared as your favorite, if there was a moment where uh, maybe you realized for the first time that um, you were able to do this at a high level, maybe not necessarily a pro career, but something close to that was, was something you had the talent to, to really um, do something special in running. I think the moment I realized that I was made the right choice in like continuing my career was during the Houston half marathon in uh, January, 2020. I, it was with so many guys, so many guys running so fast. And I remember looking up with like two miles to go looking around and seeing two of my teammates that I'd been training with plus like 15 other guys thinking like, wow, we're all about to run like 62. We're going to break 62. And I was just like, I can't believe there's this many people here. And it was just kind of overwhelming and thinking like, I'm doing this, I I'm doing this right. And I, I think I, I think I'm going to stay on this. Cause I mean, previous, prior to that, uh, prior to that race, I've had, a, I had a few races where I was kind of like dealing with some like side cramp issues, mid races and would like have to like walk. And that's something like you don't expect to hear from a professional or someone who's aspiring to be a professional athlete to like struggle with that. But like, my main goal going into Houston was not have to walk, finish the race without walking and you'll be in a good place. And after I accomplished that, it was like, yeah, as long as I do that, things will go well. But that, that's kind of the big moment where I realized that. You know, I, I will say, I don't want to speak for everybody in the call, but hearing that professional athletes worry about side cramping and having to walk during long distances is a bit, a bit, a bit reassuring in a sense. So um, thank you. Uh, Katie, same question to you. Is there, was there a moment? And I, I would say uh, you could even think earlier too, if that, you know, uh, doesn't have to be from necessarily a professional career, but at any point when you were running that you sort of realized you had the talent and, and perhaps ability to, to pursue this. It's a, it's a good question. I don't know if I have a specific time. I feel like there was little nuggets along the way that like, I, I wanted to keep pursuing it, but I didn't want to put the pressure on myself either that there's so many things that happen like injuries and, and who knows what else that, like I knew that I could easily be diverted from being a professional runner, but um, I think I had the goal pretty young. So my brother is, uh, my oldest brother is 10 years older than me. And he um, actually, he joined Hanson Brooks, which is a professional running team, but he was also a Rhodes Scholar. Um, so I kind of watched him go throughout the whole professional career. And it was something that I've had always wanted to do. And I remember, um, being fairly young and watching the Olympic trials marathon and, and, you know, just seeing the women running and, and wanting to be there myself. Um, so I don't know, it's just really small things. And then the little successes along the way. And um, I think by my senior year of college or my fifth year, like uh, becoming an all American several times and then a big 12 um, champion on the track twice uh, kind of helped solidify it. So there's just a lot of little things. Um, and then of course, I think the run pro camp really helped in the fact that like, I'm there with other like-minded individuals and it was two days of just this like infiltration of what it's like to be a professional runner. And I think like within those days of under, like getting a bigger picture of me and like, yes, like this is worth it. Like, I do want to do this. Like I, I know to be a runner, you kind of have, you don't make as much money initially, you know, you're kind of forgoing more of a, a standard career. Um, so that was probably the moment where I was like, you know what, I'll just 
give it up, let it, you know, this seems like really something I'd like to do and pursue. And if it sets me back financially a few years, like that's, that's okay. It's interesting. You know, I think uh, another sort of outside observation, but uh, we think that often there's one crystallizing moment. And I think uh, the way that RSA elite support works and, and having worked with a lot of elite athletes is that it's, so it's, it's really a, a building blocks that there's, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of little nuggets along the way. And I think that that's, sort of a, a good metaphor for how a pro career develops in a sense too. So, um, all right, Alephine, I'll ask you the same question. Was there a moment for you uh, growing up or, or even, you know, as you were becoming more competitive where you recognized that you had the ability to, to make a, a go of this as a professional runner? Yeah, I think I thought when I was a really young girl, I thought that I had a, you know, a quick and professional running, especially growing up, um, in Kenya where uh, a lot of people pursued running and they became really successful. And when they came, you know, abroad and ran and they came back and they were driving, like all of a sudden they were driving nice cars or they were building nice houses. And I, you know, I grew up in a, a small village and my parents didn't have any jobs. I mean, they did have land, they had animals, but they didn't have like, they weren't like formally employed. And so I thought I wanted to do something like that. Um, but it took a very long time. It took so many uh, tri trials and errors to actually get where I am. Um, I think even uh, like a few years ago, like there were times where I wanted to quit, you know, because like Katie said, you don't make a lot of money in the beginning. Um, there were times where I couldn't pay my rent. Like after college, I really thought I was gonna land a really good uh, contract. Well, <laughs> I had a reality check because I came out of college. Nobody cared about giving me a contract, even though I was like a 14-time All-American and I had been a runner-up a couple of times. But I think being a runner-up just was shadowed by a lot of people who won. Um, and so I remember like thinking, well, maybe I'll win a lot of races. And I did win a lot of races. And there were a couple of times that I wanted to quit. Uh, but you know, when you're passionate about something, you just continue coming back. And um, it wasn't, until, it wasn't until 2016 that I actually started making enough money to think, well, I could live off of this. Um, but by then I had already like gotten a job, you know, and I was working uh, part-time and it was going well. And um, honestly, I think it's until last year that I really think that, okay, well, I mean, I just met the Olympic team. I'm definitely meant for this, but, um, you know, I've been running for like 20 years now and so many you know times along the way i thought i don't think i'm meant for this and actually in fact a couple of years ago uh when i was injured um 2019 i remember thinking well if i don't run a good marathon then i'm just gonna probably quit running and um, maybe uh, go to school and get a job and just do something else but then i went to uh, europe and i ran a really good uh, marathon and after that um you know it was the race that i went after that i went to new york city marathon and it was just like wow things could change, but it takes a really long time. And for somebody who is starting, I mean, it's um, it could be really challenging. But so, yeah, I, I knew when I was a little girl, for sure, that I wanted to be a pro athlete, but I just didn't know what it took to be there, to get there. Thank you. Uh, so uh, both you and, and Katie and, and Frank, to a certain extent, uh, hit on in that answer, um, the initial struggles that come with professional and financial as well. You know, uh, when you look at the amount, a Rhodes Scholar grant is five thousand uh, dollars, and that for 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 certain people in certain professions or in certain professional places, that doesn't seem like a tremendous amount of money. But can you each maybe share a little bit about you, you've all received around that amount from the RCA um, at slightly different points in your careers? But what that means to a runner, what what that allows you to do, what 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 that changes about where your life are. Now, Alphine, uh, I'll I'll start with you since you you sort of built that into your last answer. Yeah, I think uh, when you receive that grant, it makes you realize that people believe in you and it goes a long way, like you said, you know, like you could get injured, that money could go towards uh, getting rehab and rehabbing can be very expensive even when you're making safer. I mean, a lot of people are probably making, you know, like $20,000, $30,000 and having extra $5,000 talks a lot goes a long way to just take you know care of yourself and take care of your rehab or even like buying good food. It goes a long way. And it also, like I said, you know, makes you feel like people believe in me. You know, like if somebody can see that I deserve this grant, then therefore I deserve to be a pro athlete and there's more, 
you know, that I can still achieve. So Alephine, I actually found your application for the Olympic trials grant, which, which we gave, which you re received in the fall of 2019. And it says, I have dealt with injuries and this is the time to prevent them. And this money would go towards that. I will use it for weekly massages, chiropractic work, groceries, and physiotherapy. So seeing that, you know, you're involved with a team, you know, you, you, you're in a pretty good place as a runner. So you won a lot of events that you mentioned. Uh, those are pretty basic things. It was, it's always surprising to me to, to read that those are what professional runners, is that, is that what they, did that, is, did that, was that what the money was used for in, in your training for Atlanta? Is that, is that kind of what you, what you did in, in the run-up to it? Absolutely, because, you know, I was injured a lot this last, part, like this last three years and uh, heading up to Atlanta, you know, like I was, I had a stress fracture. I had to do MRIs. I had to do, you know, my chiropractic appointments and it can get expensive really quickly. Um, and also you have to understand that as a professional athlete, you're an independent contractor. A lot of times you don't have a health insurance. And so you pay everything out of pocket and every little helps. And it definitely went to that. It was nice to know that I had, you know, this chunk of cash that I could just dedicate to, you know, like my massages and, you know, my weekly massages or chiropractic appointment. It definitely helps a lot. Because again, you never know when you're going to get injured, you know, like, oh, like, you never know when a pandemic is going to hit. For example, we come from 2020 trials and you think, well, I have a few races lined up. I have, you know, like a little bit of appearance lined up and then things go south or you get injured. And it's like, it's the money that you have right now that is the money that you're going to have because you never know what's going to happen. You could run tomorrow and strain your ankle and you're not able to run for a whole year. It's a, It definitely helps. So Frank, I actually kind of want to pose the same question to you because you uh, received a grant a little earlier in your career than Al Alephine got the Olympic trials grant after she'd been out of school for a while and you got it, you know, uh, I think your first fall after graduation. Similar situation for you. I mean, same same needs. W what did $5,000 do for you at that point in your, in your career? Uh, it came at a very, very opportune time. I was kind of like between jobs looking for work that would be like conducive with training is like, if I want to run, I want to be all into that. So it was like, I was very picky about like the jobs I applied for and looked for. And, um, basically the support was very much needed. And honestly, it was, <sighs> there's no shortage of like people out there that were like helping me through this, like the first few months from like my family to like my girlfriend and like right before I even moved out to Boulder I like like towards the end of my senior my fifth year at Berman I like started doing Ubering and it was just like I only made like enough money to like basically make the trip to Colorado and it was like oh, now what the, now how do I do so it was I was so grateful when I got it because I was like okay I I don't know what I would have done without this but it's it's really like as Alephine said like somebody out there believes in me in addition to all of this, the support system that I like have from like all of my family and friends and stuff. So it was very, it was a very, it came at a very opportune time. And honestly, I would have been, I think I would have been very challenged to pay off like a little bit of debt going if I hadn't received that. Um, uh, so it definitely let me go into the rest of the year training, thinking like not worrying about having to like pay off things, but just like, moving forward and looking at what's ahead and not like worrying about like having to like budget money for like trips or like, um, to like, see if I can pick, like go to a specific race. If I can like actually even like pay off, to, like make it there, like going into the race, thinking like how much money do I need to make off of this race to like pay off like the trip that I just made to come out here. So it was when you go into races, not having to worry about the financial side of things, it's a whole different mentality because you can just focus on like doing what you love and not worrying about like what you're going to make. That's awesome. That's a wonderful context to how much a difference five, you know, the amount of money can make for, for neurons. Katie, you, you received a grant kind of where Frank was, and then uh, you're, you've not been in the sport quite as long as Alephine, but uh, did your needs change? Was there something uh, that um, when you got a Rhodes Scholar grant shortly after graduation versus the Olympic trials grant later, same, same kind of things? Like uh, maybe share a little bit about. Yeah, no, I'd say some different things. 
was probably a little more desperate right out of college because um, I hadn't technically graduated yet when I got it. So I still had to student teach. Um, so I was student teaching and living with family and and just with that, like, I don't, I didn't have a lot of financial support from anyone. So I'm on my own. <laughs> and so like groceries were like a really stressful thing. And I was working on the weekends too. So I'm working seven days a week for, <laughs> for a couple months. Um, and so receiving that was like more of the relief that like, okay, I can take a day off on Sunday and like not work, you know, seven days a week. <laughs> Cause that's not conducive to training either. I mean, at all, like, um, and so that was really like a blessing to be able to have that, to be able to focus on the running. Um, so initially it was a little bit more like, I need groceries. <laughs> this is desperate matters here. Um, and uh, I guess at that same time, it was um, needing that emotional support as well, that someone who isn't related to me or a friend is, it's like unbiasedly like, hey, we believe in you. Um, that was worth a lot for me um, initially, you know, I mean, it still is worth a lot, but at that time it was very valuable. And then for the Olympic trials grant, um, development grant, um, this past oh my gosh, <laughs> the time this past year, um, leading up to the 2020 trials, uh, that one, that grant allowed me to, um, since I'm training in Minnesota, it allowed me to step away from school where I'm a part-time teacher um, for the month or two months and go south for training um, so that I could focus on the best training for myself because when it's icy and snowy and negative 30, like there's so many variables that can happen. And I was like, that would be such a shame if I was just on an easy run and I slip and fall. And then that's, you know, I didn't even get a chance because I didn't put myself in the right position for that. Um, so that's what I did with the second one was to put it to relocate focus on like the trials coming up. Um, and then, yeah, like kind of Alphine said is like with, and Frank with the, um, being able to go see a chiropractor and just take care of myself a little extra during that time. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I slightly different, but I, it's also very moving to hear that, um, the support in addition to the financial component, really the, the boost of confidence that comes with, uh, an unbiased party providing it is, is helpful. So, um, so kind of going back to run and Katie, I can start with you here since you came to run pro camp. Uh, what, what did you know about turning professional when you graduate? So you graduate from college after a pretty distinguished career. Um, did you have any, did you have any guidance on what pro professional running looked like or what, what, what did you know about it when you graduated? Well, I thought I would with my brother being a professional runner. <laughs> I think he even helped name the camp, but uh, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know things. Like I didn't understand, like, how do you contact a race to run it? Or how do you find an agent? Like, when do you need an agent? Um, I didn't know about taxes, like on, you know, your race income. <laughs> um, yeah. So it kind of gave me a broader scope of like how to represent yourself, like on social media as well. Um, yeah, I think it just like opened my eyes because in your, in your mind, you kind of think of what it could be, right? That it's so easy and that you make money right off the bat. You have a sponsorship right away. Like every race lets you in and gives you appearance fees, but that's not true, right? Like <laughs> you don't make much money at all. Um, and I mean, eventually you can, but, and then also like not every race will let you in and like you don't get appearance fees at most races and like, you know, there's just a lot that I, I think I gathered. I think it was invaluable for me. And then just to meet um, other athletes that were in the same position and still having relation, like continued relationships with those athletes um, has been really impactful um, for me. Awesome. Um, that's, that's great. Yeah. I, you know, I always say that uh, run pro will never have as many people in a room invested in the professional success of those there as, as the athletes will never have as, as they will at run pro camp. So uh, glad to feel that, know that you felt that that was the same way uh, and that relationships were important. So Frank, same question to you. Uh, what, what did you know about running professionally when you graduated and maybe how did run pro camp um, help to in inform you? I, I knew a lot of professional or like people who like wanted to be professional athletes, like who had already graduated from college. And in my mind, professional running was if you run really fast, you will be paid to do it. And, um, 
at run pro camp, I learned that there's, that's not everything that there is. There's also like getting into races and like all this stuff. And I think the most like valuable, um, lesson I learned at run pro camp was from, um, Alephine's coach, Ben Rosario, who just like talked about like one of his main points was just like gratitude of like the people that are allowing you to like do it, like race directors and like, um, coaches and like agents and everyone. And it's just like, I didn't realize how much of a team effort it is for like, a, for like me, an individual to like go out and like perform. It's not just me. It's like the people, whoever like, uh, paid to get me there, the, like whoever put the race on, who brought all the competition, all the competitions, coaches, my coaches, their support squad. It's just like a whole thing. And it's just, I think I, I learned that it's prior to the camp, I wouldn't have known how I wouldn't have been as appreciative of like, just like how much, not just like the people that are supporting me, but how much every single person involved in events are like how much they're putting into things. And I think I've really come to appreciate how much goes into everything. And I think it gives me a lot more gratitude when I'm in racing, thinking of like not letting things, an opportunity to go to waste because so much effort went into this on so many sides. Yeah, we have some some folks who have presented in, and attended Run Pro Camp on the call, and I think they can all attest that it's it's a pretty um, I don't know I don't say it's a pretty uh, stark look at what it means to run professionally, and um, I think uh, it means that those that stick with it really want to do it, and um, you know glad to, glad you and Katie are both here. Alphine, I, I kind of wanted to you spoke at Run Pro Camp when actually when Frank was there and sat in on it, some of it from the perspective of a more experienced runner, um, what was your takeaways? Were there things that you wish that you'd known uh, coming out of the, the, the sport, uh, coming out of college? You know, was it, was it something, you know, what was your perspective as a more veteran runner kind of watching this take place? Yeah, I think um, coming out of college, I thought, you know, like, I mean, I was very successful in college and I definitely expected to come out and have, you know, every manager wanting me to run for them. and and every company wanting me to like represent them. Um, I kind of wish that I had had a run pro camp, you know, and being told that it takes time, you know, to, uh, to develop in the sport and it takes time to even start winning races. And I think that when I came to run pro, like I tried to tell, you know, uh, the young athletes, uh, you know, like what my experience had been like, just because I knew that, um, I came out of college very naive, even though I thought I was very experienced in college, uh, or even like the financial aspect of it. Um, you know, like I went to college in Kansas and I moved to New Mexico and New Mexico uh, was more expensive than Kansas. And I thought, well, you know, I'm a really good runner. I'm just gonna go win races and I'm gonna start making money and I'm gonna be able to pay, you know, my rent and my car insurance and all that stuff. That was not the case. Um, I wish I had like had someone tell me that you know, you needed patience and then I needed to back it better. Um, I definitely um, think that, you know, um, Frank and Katie who got to go to Run Pro, I think they were better prepared um, than I was. Um, I came out and I had an agent, but, you know, just like anything else, you know, um, chemistry has to work. And for me, it didn't work out. And it took me trying out a couple of agents before I found um, how we managed and which worked really, really well with me. Um, and it's like, how do you know, like, when to say no to an agent that you're with? Or, like, even, like, sometimes you just say, for example, you go run a race and then you make, say, like, $500 and, and, and you're really struggling and then you have to think about paying an agent. It's like, is it important to have an agent now or is it important to have an agent later? And I think when I was at Run Pro and listening to what everybody was saying, it was just like, you know, I, I think it was John Ricky, uh, which is one of who is one of my managers who was, you know, educating people like when do you need to find an agent and when do you when can you represent yourself? I think that's knowledge that it's really important to have. Um, because after a certain point in the sport, race directors won't get you in if you don't have an agent. Like for example, running races with like New York City Marathon or New York Roadrunners, I think um once you get to that point, it's like, if you don't have an agent, they almost think, well, there must be something wrong with you. They might not get you in the race. It's like, you can get into the smaller races, but then when, if you want to go to the big races, you definitely need an agent. 
And when, wh at what point do you need to start to go to big races? Um, because I think the other thing is um, when you come out of college, for example, and you think, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and run New York City Marathon, and then they tell you no. I think in a way it could break your heart and you could think, well, I guess they don't value me and you could you know, leave the sport. Whereas if you started with shorter races and they can see what you're doing, and then it would be important if they came to you or like eventually if you had a representative that spoke on your behalf to this big race, I think um, those are things that I wish I had known. But I mean, like, lucky for me though, you know, like I found my, um, my agent that, that worked with me right away. And, um, you know, I was able to uh, not, I was able to succeed, you know, like I, I needed to, um, but in the beginning it was definitely challenging and I, I really wish that I had run for, I mean, but then on the other hand, I wasn't an American citizen. So there's no way I could have gone to a run for camp out of college, um, you know, like so that was another uh, like challenge. So uh, yeah, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you got to experience it and share your own story with some of the campers that year. I know that was really valuable. Um, and you had a, a group of people in the office that were there that met you and were really excited to cheer you on in Atlanta as well. Um, you, you talked a little bit earlier and I'm curious about this, but how uh, you felt like you needed to, your success at certain races kind of built on themselves and then you got in, invited into to other races. Can you, can you just share a little bit about that specifically, like what, what that experience is like as a professional runner for you? Yeah, because it's like, um, I mean, like for example, when you come out of college and you, you won a couple of incident bullet titles, I think a lot of people have seen you already and they, they would definitely invite you, you know, to big races. Um, but when you're somebody like me who was a runner up a couple of times, um, who had a lot of All-American titles but didn't really have a championship title, it becomes really hard for people because you come out of college and you're just one of the many professional athletes that are out there. And so if you want to have a really good dress, I mean, you have to be selective and you have to get those that are experienced. And I think also we are at a time in our sport right now where it's not just you running fast that matters. It's like, what else can you bring to the table? You know, like, are you good at promoting, you know, things in social media? And I think this happens the same way with like contracts these days. Um, and I think when you uh, get to races, for example, like New York City Marathon, they're very selective, you know, on who they want to be on, you know, their sideline. And, you know, they won't just take anybody that, you know, they think, oh, maybe they will do well. And in order for you to get into those races, I mean, remember, like, you have, they have to pay for your hotel. They have, you know, like, they can give you a little bit of appearance. That's how you end up making money, you know, as a professional athlete. Eventually, it's like, they pay for your hotel, they pay for your travel, and then they give you a little bit of appearance money. Because, I mean, going into a race and um, hoping that you will win or you will make money, it's a gamble, you know, that you don't know that until you actually perform but like if you can build on smaller races like for example when I went to um to Europe to run a marathon um at the time my marathon PR had been like 233 and then I went to Europe and I ran 226 and I came back and New York City Marathon was like hey you coming to run our race and that was so cool you know like to have them contact my agency like we want her to run our race because I had finally shown that I could do this um, so yeah, I think building on small races is definitely awesome. And then like you were able to give me appearance money, which is awesome because at least like, you know, Frank said, it's so awesome if you can go into a race and not have to worry about how much money do I have to make in order to, you know, be able to pay my debt. If you know that you're going to make money away from appearance, I think that's a really good thing. Alvin, when, when, at what point in your career did you realize you were going into races and not worried about having to win prize money to be sick. Are you there yet? I would hope so. But is that, do you know when that, that happened for you? This year? <laughs> um, that? I think that yeah. maybe this year. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, because it's like, I mean, I did so well in 2020, but then everything else shut down. Uh, before that, well, let's just say uh, 2018, once I signed with Hawker NSD um, because then I had a salary, even though it wasn't very much, but at least I knew that it would, I would be able to pay, you know, like my rent and, and the basic needs for the whole year. 
And then, you know, I could go into a race and really fight for, I mean, I still needed to win in order to stay afloat, but at least I knew that I could still uh, pay, like, you know, pay the, the basic necessities. Um, but I think last year and maybe now going forward is one, like I can go into a race, like, for example, I'm going in the Olympics and I, I don't have a lot of pressure from the financial standpoint. I just have internal pressure because, I mean, I want to perform. I want to represent myself and represent the people that have been there for me. It's not so much like I need to win this race to make a living. It's more like it almost becomes a status. And of course, there's more money that comes with, you know, winning a race, but it's not the motivation. It's not I need to make this money to pay, you know, my gas bill or anything like that. So yeah, I, I think definitely this year and last year, but the years before that, it was it was still challenging. You know, like, like we keep talking about, like you can have injuries, you know, like I was injured a lot and there were races that I won, but then I came out of it and then I was injured. So then you're out of the rest of like a half a year and the little money that you won, that's all you have for the rest of the year. So it could still be challenging. Yeah, and I would invite anyone to go look at Alephine's uh, resume. She had an impressive number of wins and a, and a long and, and accomplished, um, you know, resume prior to 2018 or 20, I mean, especially even leading into the trials. So to hear that that was still a concern, even despite, um, you know, lots of success is, is somewhat uh, jarring to hear, but that's the reality of being a professional runner, I think. Um, Frank, I kind of want to play on that theme and ask you about your unique experience where you mentioned uh, winning the 2020 15K US USA, USA Championships as being your favorite accomplishment, but you had the unique situation of finding out you won, uh, I guess, what, eight or nine months after the fact, uh, because the person that initially won the race was disqualified for, for using illicit substances. So I guess... Uh, I'm curious, do you, do you feel uh, like going from second to first has changed uh, what's available to you? Is that, is that something that is, is different now? And I guess maybe just comment on what a kind of unique experience that must have been. Well, I sat, so people were very upset when I, right shortly after the race, many people flew to my defense and I didn't really understand why at the time. Um, this is the Gate River Run in 2020, right? In Jacksonville, yes. Florida. Okay, right. Yeah, because I had went second and I was super happy about it. Now they ran an awesome race. I was second. I'd, it was the first time being in top 10 in a US championship and it was just super exciting for me. And I didn't really understand why people were were upset about um, in, in my mind. I was like, oh, oh, well, next time I'll win it for sure. Um, but it was... A few probably like I, I got my like test results back from the drug testing like a few weeks later and I was like, okay, I passed. I haven't heard anything. So I am officially second, so that's cool. And then several months later, I think it was it was September twenty-sixth was the date that I learned that I had actually won the race. So six months following after the race. Um I can tell you the exact date because it was the day after my birthday. And it was, a, it was a very exciting weekend. Um, but I honestly think my coach said this and I agree with them that I got more notoriety from getting second in that race than I would have for winning it, which is a sad reality of like, if a cheater wins a race, it's like a bigger deal than if I had won it. And like, um, looking back, I, obviously wish I had like, I actually officially won on the day, but, um, I think I've gotten a lot more notoriety and like a lot more people know who I am because I was second that day. So it's hard to like say what, like what would have been better for me in the long run. But it, honestly, I I'm, I'm glad this, that like, not glad that it happened, but I'm glad this affected me so early in my career that I like am now like aware of it. Um, Cause prior to the race, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have never assumed like that I would have been pushed up in the, in you go into every race thinking like everyone's like competing fairly and everyone's like doing everything they can or like run a good race. And you never, you don't want to go in like suspecting people at all. And, um, this next year it was very, or this 2020 or 2021, 15 K it was really cool to go and, and like actually like know pretty much everyone in the race thinking like, 
okay, this one is a legit race and I'm going to try to win this one. So it was, I don't know. It, it was a lot of like mixed feelings and like, just kind of like in the end, I was ended, ended up being just kind of like, Oh, well it, it happened like several months ago. What are you going to do about it? Moving on. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, obviously not the sort of, um, when you imagine winning a big race for much of your life, it's not the scenario that you envision, but I guess there's a silver lining that you've kind of found in the, in the experience that it seems like good perspective. So we've kind of, uh, alluded to this a little bit, but I, I'd like to touch on what a weird year it's been for everybody and in professional runners in, included. And Katie, maybe I'll start with you. Cause I know you were dealing with some injuries earlier in the year and hoping to work up to races later in the year. And a lot of the races went away. What, what is, what is the, been like as an elite athlete come you know, getting back from injury training during a global pandemic been like um challenging <laughs> i think anyone on here could say that training this year and running this year has been a little challenging um yeah i don't know i kind of had a year not uh yeah i've kind of had a challenging <laughs> um just a year of injury and um kind of on that financial aspect of like I thought it would be one of those years, you know, where I, I'd be able to, to kind of rake in, rake in the cash. Um, but no, just one of those years that I thought I'd be able to crack down on those performances that I was hoping for, you know, last fall um, and not being able to do that. So it's, it's kind of been a year of like going back to that initial juggle of like, <laughs> is this like going to work out? Like, I don't know, like how much do you keep gambling on it? So I had a tough time in 2020. <laughs> so I'm very glad that races have come back and things seem to be normalizing. And um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I do really well with community and um, being able to run with a lot of people and, and run groups. And, and so, yeah, I had a rough go. <laughs> you know, again, I keep talking about, I'm sure there are all of us on the call can, 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 maybe not to, to sort of the, the extent of having our source of income shut down as dramatically as it was for with, with, with prize races. But I think, you know, it's humanizing to hear that even top athletes have sort of a similar feeling about what we all just went through. Do you, do you get a sense from your teammates too, that like the, the, maybe just the broader impact of not having races with prize money is what the impact has been on the, on, on elite runners and professional runners? Um, for our team, I know it's been really hard because um, we we generally have been one of the longer standing teams um, with a lot of generally financial back support with like gym membership and some medical um, personnel that we're able to access for, for free um, pro bono. And so this has kind of been a year where that's been falling through. So I think that's been really tough for um, our teammates too, because now you know, they're kind of scrapping for cash and, and it's becoming more of a juggle of like, do I, do I buy a gym membership now? Or do I try to create a home member, home gym or, you know, so it's been tough for our team. Um, and just kind of who I've talked to, it seems like some people are really motivated by, you know, they have this whole year where they can really, you know, just dive in and, um, really be productive with it. And then, you know, some, some athletes, you know, have a harder time with that and it's more of a shutdown and like, Hey, I'm just going to take time to reset. Um, so I've kind of, I've seen a whole spectrum from, from my perspective. Yeah. Again, kind of think mirrors society at large. Uh, Frank, I'm going to pose the same question to you, just kind of what this year has been like. And, and then I guess your observations about the, the larger elite and professional running uh, community. And then I, I will, I will ask if there are any chat questions, uh, fire them off because we are uh, kind of coming up against time with our panel. Uh, so uh, Frank, I'll pose that to you. Uh, encourage the audience to type any questions into the chat for the, the um, runners who have them. And um, then we'll move on to uh, the next uh, portion of this uh, presentation. Yeah, so the biggest change for me was uh, like not running in groups anymore. Um, we didn't, when the, in like, probably early April when everything kind of started up, we stopped meeting as a team. And now we really only meet for practice and it's not even the whole team. It's like a couple times a week and like four or five people come to, to the workout, depending on like what's what we're doing. But um, outside of that, I've, I think I've really taken this year to kind of like see it as like, this is my chance to catch up to someone who can like qualify for the, Olympics and not like somebody who can get in the Olympic trials. So I 
I've been, I've been really motivated this year. And although like the races haven't been as frequent they're they've been like every now and then you see something pop up and you're like, Oh, sweet. And you can like just jump into the race real quick kind of thing. Um, but, uh, my job is remote and it was before the pandemic started. I think a, a big difference now is that my girlfriend works from home now too. So it's, I, I have a lot more company throughout the day, which has been nice, but, um, Another thing all of us on the call can relate to in some degree, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, something that might be harder than the pandemic itself in terms will be the change back to normalcy for a lot of people where like, now you have to like start doing stuff, start commuting and like going places. And like, I think a lot of people have like gotten to a rhythm of like, this is what life is now and it's feasible. And my, I work at Strava and like, we've realized that we don't really even need to have the offices anymore because we're like just as productive at home. So it's like, it's kind of a coin flip as to what, what, what's going to happen next. But, uh, yeah, it's been some, some things have been good. Some things have been bad, but you kind of work with the hand that you're dealt. Makes sense. Um, so a couple questions and Alfie, and I think there's probably a natural answer, but I'm going to ask this one for you to start, which is what are you looking forward to in 2021? Well, um, I'm looking forward to getting in shape. Um, I showed you guys my daughter earlier. She's only three months old and she's a product of a 2020, you know, happening. <laughs> um, so when everything shut down, I took the winter trials and, um, you know, we noticed that nothing else was going to happen for the rest of 2020. It was very hard for me to stay focused and it was, it felt like 2021 was really far away. And so we decided to have a child. Um, and so I'm only three months postpartum and uh, I have the Olympics in less than four months. So I'm looking forward to getting in shape and uh, definitely going to the Olympics and hopefully doing really, really well. Um, I don't think there's ever been anyone who had a child between the Olympic trials and the Olympics. So this is kind of a, a trial, um, but I also believe in myself and uh, things are coming together very nicely right now in terms of training. I'm very slow, but um, I know and I believe that for the next three months, I'm gonna be uh, where, uh, I'm gonna get the fitness that I need to have. So I'm really looking forward to going to Tokyo. Um, and I think everybody's looking forward to that too, you know, just because it's like, it would be the biggest event in terms of like, for example, like marathons right now, everything is in the fall and we have races, but they're very small. So I think that the Olympics will be that light at the end of the tunnel that will hopefully open up the world to uh, racing in person again. At least that's the hope. I certainly hope so. <laughs> um, uh, and then uh, this, uh, maybe we'll, we'll wrap up this one uh, and anyone on the panel can jump in. Do, do you, any of you have a runner that you particularly admire? Who would you say is your running hero or someone that you, you sort of, I don't know, idolize, but look up to in, in the sport? I'll jump in. Um, I think one person that really stands out to me is Frank Shorter from like not only his... <laughs> I see you, Mitchell. Um, not only is running the data, the guy that asked the question. So yeah, not only the running accomplishments from like, just like being in Boulder, I didn't realize how much he had like done for the community and like, like all the races he's organized and like fundraiser that has been like come about from him. Like I always, want, there's a statue at CU that's of Frank Shorter, like running, like, re, like right next to the bike path. And I never understood why it was there. This is CU. He didn't even go here. Um, but like realizing how like much of an impact he had in the Boulder community, which is just like a really close knit community of runners, like anywhere you go, you like see people you recognize. Um, I think he's kind of like someone that I like always have in the back of my mind is like, that's somebody that anyone, whether you're a runner or not, you should try to aspire to be like. Awesome. So I can't thank the panel enough. This is super helpful and I think wonderful context and you're all um, so sort of open and honest and sharing your stories and what the, the realities of being a professional runner. So with your um, information and openness in mind, I, I wanna turn this over to Don Cardon, who is uh, the organizer of an event um, that is going to benefit the support programs that we've mentioned here that have been instrumental in helping Katie and Frank and Alethine um, in remain in the sport and in some uh, obtain professional success. 
Okay. Um, so uh, we are working on an event called Cascade Runoff Redux. And the Cascade Runoff was the first prize money race that was widely supported by the athletes. And um, at the time, uh, it was when road races had first started to grow and become kind of major factors in the American scene and, and within the sport. And um, we had, those of us who were competing had a lot of the same challenges you've been describing here uh, in trying to pursue the sport after graduation from college. But we had one additional impediment and that was amateur regulations. So not only uh, were we struggling to find money, but where we might've been able to have been uh, either run for prize money or gotten shoe or clothing contracts, those were illegal under amateur rules. And um, the only reason that we put up with it at the time was because uh, the only way you could get to the Olympics was by being an amateur. And so you'd sort of suck it up and say, okay, I'll, uh, I'll figure out some other way to stay alive rather than making money through the sport and uh, try to make it to the Olympics. And then in 1980, if you know your history, that's when we had the Olympic boycott. And all the athletes that I competed against at the time were furious. Here they had kind of been waiting for, um, you know, the Olympics as the plum that um, they were shooting for, if you can shoot for a plum. And, uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden it was gone just because the president uh, had a political problem that he wanted to um, speak out about and he laid that on the athletes. So that really kind of, there had been some talk before that about trying to get uh, uh, prize money and other sorts of uh, professional money in the sport. Uh, but when that happened, it really propelled things forward. And to make a long story short, in 1981, uh, the Cascade Runoff in Portland, Oregon, uh, was the first prize money race that was widely um, supported by the, the elite athletes of that day. And it was a direct challenge to the governing bodies, to the, the predecessor of uh, USA Track and Field, which was the Athletics Congress, and uh, to the Olympic Committee. And um, the athletes that kind of took a stand that day said, we're gonna do this and uh, risk our amateur standing because we believe that we ought to be able to make money. And um, so uh, that event, the Cascade Runoff was a watershed event in the history of the sport. And uh, as that um, anniversary was coming up here, it'll be 40 years this June, uh, some of us who were involved uh, got put our heads together. Keith Peters was probably the uh, main instigator. He, he was uh, with the, he was the race coordinator of the Cascade Runoff back in 1981. And Chuck Galford, who was the race director, uh, and myself, I was the, at the time, the president of the Association of Road Racing Athletes. And uh, we put our heads together and said, how do we, um, let's, let's, you know, not let all this sort of disappear into ancient history. Uh, can we get uh, can we get a 30 for 30 on it or can we get some podcasts about it? But what we really came down to, at least initially, is uh, an event which I just mentioned, the Cascade Runoff Redux. It's going to be a virtual event um, and it will have um, will be up and running in a, either by the end of this week or first part of next week. And we said, uh, we know that uh, it's still tough for athletes uh, who are post-collegians to, uh, to stay in the sport. So can we make this a fundraiser for the Rhodes Scholar Program, Run Camp, and uh, the, the programs that the RCA has initiated to help post-collegiate runners? So uh, for a, a $40 entry fee, uh, you're going to get a really cool shirt. <laughs> it was one of the most... Uh, unusual uh, race t-shirts um, I've ever seen. Uh, there were some amazing artists in Portland. There were then and there still are. And they came up with just a, a, a very cool shirt. Every year it was good, but that was one that we remember. So you get a, you'll get a rendition of that shirt, but also for, for the $40 entry fee, 
Um, we're going to give $20 of each, each entry fee to the uh, RSCA for their Road Scholar and Run Camp programs. So we're hoping that word gets out about this. And um, I know that uh, we're kind of moving away from the virtual running world into the uh, in-person world again, which is great. But we hope that, um, you know, this will be one of the uh, virtual events that gets uh, so many people signed up uh, maybe because they want to remember uh, about the Cascade runoff back in 1981, maybe because they've heard about it and would like to connect to it in some way, or maybe because they want to get a cool shirt, or maybe because they want to help the RCA with these post-collegiate programs. Well, we hope that there are going to be, you know, hundreds and thousands of people who will sign up for this and, um, and generate quite a bit of funds for the RCA's programs. Um, now we're we're not quite there yet. We've we'll have our website up, uh, like I said, probably by the end of this week, uh, first of next week, um, and the RCA will be promoting this through their clubs and letting or encouraging people to uh, sign up for virtual um, Cascade Runoff Redux. And um, I don't know how many we'll get. I don't know how much money we'll raise, but um, I hope it's just a ton because we know that it's still um, it's still tight for runners coming out of college. Um, you never know whether, you, as we've been hearing, you know, am I going to get an injury right when I thought I was going to be hitting my peak? Um, and um, when the uh, Rose Scholar program was started. You know, one hand we're saying, well, gosh, $5,000 is not a lot of money, but it makes a difference. And I've heard all three of the athletes here say the same thing. It's a, it's, if nothing else, even if you didn't get the money, it tells you that somebody is cares about your uh, wanting to be a professional runner, a uh, post-collegiate top runner. And that means something as well as the money that also can, can uh, help bridge a few gaps there. So we're... Um, you know, like I say, we're hopeful that this is going to be a big success. Um, and we hope that uh, the RCA will uh, promote it through their clubs and that athletes will um, encourage people through their social media. And that um, in the end, we'll have a big check to give to the RCA. Thanks so much, Don. Uh, like Don said, uh, we will be sure to uh, promote this, uh, this event once the, the organizers are ready for it to go. Uh, we hope that you'll spread the word when that's the case. Those of you that have, that have been on the, the call tonight and have heard um, the impact of what this kind of financial support can mean for um, a lot of runners and, and the future of American distance running in a sense. So um, again, we'll make sure to have that information available to you as soon as, as, soon as it's uh, to us from, from the runners. And we're really excited and grateful to, to the partnership um, and the, the race directors of the Cascade Runoff Redux for, for thinking of us and, and, and this program. Yeah. Sorry, Andy. Um um, so we, we put together kind of a little history of the, uh, of that whole effort to, um, open up the sport to professional running, uh, which will be on our website along with, uh, some, I think pretty fun memories that, um, Anna Dane, who was the first, the winner of the first of the 1981 Cascade runoff went on to a great professional career, um, and uh, Greg Meyer, who also who won the men's section of the race and uh, had a good career as a professional runner, and Benji Durden, who um, uh, kind of came off uh, that race and had uh, went to um, a number of big marathons and uh, that were prize-winning marathons and and had a pretty good career about it. So it's it's kind of fun. I think you'll, if nothing else, if you look at that and you're interested in the history, it's, it's there. If you're interested in hearing what some of those runners have to say about uh, being in the, what was a, <laughs> you know, our sport so many times uh, uh, just, just trying to find how do we get uh, the media interested. And I can tell you that the press conference on the evening before the Cascade runoff in 1981 was the most uh, intense press conference I've ever been to. There were media from, uh, all the, not just the running magazines, but uh, the, the running, mag the uh, national magazines like, uh, you know, um, Sports Illustrated um, and the news magazines. And, and it was, it was really intense. 
because um, it was a battle that had come to a head. And then actually, uh, interestingly, the next day, the Cascade Runoff was a great race, just an amazing race when everybody had been um, so, um, I guess, wound up in the, the politics of it to actually have a great race uh, to finish it off was pretty special. So yeah, that, I think it'll be fun to kind of uh, look at some of those, what uh, some of those athletes had to say about those days. Excellent, thank you. So I, that, I think that's, that, that'll do it for this, uh, this event this evening. I should say Don, Don was the RSA president when these program, when the Rhodes uh, Scholar Program began. So he's got a long history with both this event and, and our supportive elite runners. So um, fitting that he's involved in this effort to help raise some funds. So thank exactly. you so much to Katie and Frank and Alafina for joining us tonight and sharing your stories. Tremendously appreciated. Uh, again, your openness and, uh, and, and frankness, uh, I think really gave people a understanding why we do this and hopefully encourages them to sign up for this event. So take care, everyone. Have a good evening and uh, see you on the roads.